Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that got straight up okie doped so bad by Klingberg last night we broke our ankles. It's time to do a little bit of stargazing. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I, I'm here with one purpose, and that's to keep you from jumping off the off the ledge. <laughs> that's well. Well, good luck to you, sir. I, I look forward. And, to and I, 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 don't, I, I hope I don't have to become a corporate shill to do it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh man, but but why would why would I possibly need to be talked off any ledges? I've I've been informed that things are fine. You know, Dallas came back and, and tied the game against the Winnipeg Jets, and and you know that that means everything's okay, right? Isn't is that not is that not the situation? We like where we're at. <laughs> I like that. I like where we're at. <laughs> I do like where we're at relative to this podcast. We got a lot to talk about. We are gonna, as I alluded, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about John Klingberg and just the the straight up death magic he 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 wished upon uh, the. Poor Winnipeg Jets last night. We're going to talk a little Dennis Gurionov, uh, Thomas Harley, Harley sighting, um, ready to roll. We're going to talk Jamie Benn. We're going to talk Rupe Hints as well, and, and just generally try and unpack whatever the heck is going on with uh, with our beloved Dallas Stars. So so that's the list. Uh, we may go in a couple other directions. Uh, is there anywhere you want to start, Mark? Oh, absolutely. You skipped the big, uh, the big deal. Uh, who leads the Stars in goals this year? I did futility. <laughs> well, that would be none other than Tyler Sagan, exactly where you'd expect your highest paid player. Exactly. I mean, it's it's funny. Uh, he, he had an assist last night as well, so he had, had a two-point game. Of course, the, the joke being he leads the Stars with two goals. After, oh no! It's uh, up to three. He got he got that little tick uh, on Klingberg's shot oh, yesterday. Right. He, he stole Klingberg's goal last night. I get it. But didn't right. steal his thunder. He didn't. Nobody, nobody will steal John Klingberg's thunder after last night. Holy smokes! Let's just <laughs> pause, pause, and reflect at that. That was um, that was amazing, right? Which which head fake did you like the best, or or did you like the fact that after he put his man down, he then stepped further into the crease to improve his angle? I, I don't know where to start. Of him. That yeah. was the best. <laughs> He just, uh, he's like, I'm just going to go, oh, you're not, you're not standing there anymore. Okay, cool, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and step by here and, and just, just score a goal. All right. Yeah, oh, it was amazing. Like, why don't he we is, do that every night? Right. John Klingberg is magic. And, and we, we talk about him a lot, uh, obviously because of the contract situation. And I think as well, sometimes there's a tendency to focus on, you know, some of the things he can't do. And it almost obscures the fact that like that, while that specific goal was an extreme example of just just the hurt that he put on his opponents when we talk about dallas's offensive system and when we talk about the way that they have to find goals and the way that things are structured the reason that klingberg is so valuable is that goal was not a system goal right that goal was a the puck is on the stick of an, a supremely talented player he was able to create a passing lane for himself. He was able to create the time he needed to get a screen in front of the net. And then he was able to get a fantastic shot off on that. Right. It was one of those moments where he was able to kind of warp reality around him and yep. create offense for the Dallas stars. Exactly. And it, you know, as, as uh, how shall we say dull as this team is to watch, you know, that 
anytime we get Klingberg in the offensive zone, we're just one heartbeat away from something incredible happening. Yeah, and, and it's the, you know, and, and I would also say, like I said, that was the extreme example, but but watch the film, watch him play. Like, the next time the, the stars on the ice, dear listeners, he makes little moves like that throughout the game, and, and sometimes it's as glaring as walking all the way across the blue line. Other times, one, one of my favorite things is coming out of the defensive zone. He, he just does the thing where he shifts his body weight about a foot in one direction, and all of a sudden he has a passing lane open. And he yep. does the, that, that body control married with his up-ice vision has has gotten the stars out of so many sand traps over the course of his time in Dallas. And it really is a, a special thing to watch. Yep. I, I agree. I'm let, let's sign him. So we have a few more years uh, of prime Klingberg yet to watch. And it's honestly the sort of thing that, that gives me hope that he might be able to age gracefully, right? Because he's not yeah. relying on brute force. And it's the sort of thing like, yeah, if you sign him to the, the big year deal that he's supposedly asking for, he's not going to be this guy at the end of it. But he he feels like a guy that that as the physical skill, the physical attributes begin to erode, you can start maybe shading him more on the power play, right? You can, you can do things to manage his deployment and ice time to maximize his skills, accounting for the things he's going to lose along the way. We, we were talking about this in the pre-show, and it's not a direct comparison. Uh, I'm not necessarily suggesting these two are even in the same stratosphere, but it, it occurs to me it's a lot like what the Capitals are doing with Alex Ovechkin as his game changes over time. And, you know, it's it's funny, like watch the, the goals Alex Ovechkin scored during the first half of his career and watch the goals he scores now, right? They're different, wildly yep. different. The only thing that, that's similar is the volume of goals that he scores. Yep, he, he does it well. And and let's just say it, you know, Fred Astaire danced well into his fifties and sixties. There you go. There you go. So yeah, it's it's one of those it'd be, you know, in the flip side, right? The the flip side is that the consequence of the things that Klingberg tries is there are going to be there are going to be mistakes. And the the downshot of all of the upside is that when John Klingberg makes a mistake, it's usually when he is alone on the blue line and it turns into a breakaway or a two on one or a penalty. Like when he screws up, it's a five alarm fire. And it skews your perception, right? Because how many how many subtle zone exits equal one biffed breakaway heading the other direction, right? And it's very hard as fans to kind of find that equilibrium and understand that as frustrating as he can be in select moments, add all of those moments together, stack them against the good, and Dallas is still way in the positive. Right, exactly. And and, and the thing is, at some point in the distant past, uh, he, he got past the angst of uh, the coaching staff and uh, and they came to realize that the positives outweigh the negatives. And and the question, I guess, moving forward then is outside of John Klingberg, if you have somebody like Gurionov, <laughs> how do you segment. how do you I was hoping that's where you go. <laughs> how do you get how do you get Gurry to that point? Well, I think you said it right. Like you, you don't what what you don't do to get him to that point is leave him in the press box. Um, and, and what you don't do is, you know, John Klingberg, you, you don't, you don't take away his power play time. You don't, you don't, you may, and this is, this is yours, Mark. So, so credit where credit is due, but we were talking in the pre-show about um, you had made the comparison and, and I'll, I'll prompt you to do it again. Cause I think it's fascinating. Um, you'd made the comparison between Jason Dickinson and Dennis Gurionov. And, and why don't you, why don't you go ahead and run back through that now that we've got the, the recorder running? Well, I, th- I think the deal I was making there was just that we spent all this time talking about Jason Dickinson and his skill set being a Swiss Army knife. 
And that's a particular thing that he brought to the table. And with Gurianov, what you have is almost the exact opposite. What you have is an exacto knife, and he does one thing and he does it very well. And so what you need to do as a team is to find a place where he can do that one thing that he does very well all the time. Yeah, and and to that point, right? So first and foremost, the thing about a Swiss Army knife, you could float Jason Dickinson anywhere in the lineup based on how he was playing without really worrying about throwing him off because it was going to go Jason Dickinson thing. And that's not reductive. He was very good at what he did. This is, this is in no way a, a Jason Dickinson bashing podcast. The only thing that gets bashed when I'm around with Jason Dickinson is his face because it just hits everything, right? He's got a face. <laughs> yep. He's great. Very valuable. Sad to see him go. The the point that I liked is I love the exacto knife reference to Denis Gurionov. And for those of you listening, doubtful, right? Check out the athletics. Saad had a great piece today talking about how if you, you know, picking, you know, shot attempts, individual shot attempts, if you look at a lot of the offensive metrics, the things that indicate when a player is generating offense for his team, everything we were talking about, John Klingberg is is kind of true about Dennis Gurionov. He is, you know, consistently second, third, fourth, fifth. He's he's very near the top of the Dallas Stars in actions that generate shots and actions that generate offense. And it's it's he is also right very near the top in things like egregious giveaways. And it's one of those instances where I can I can sympathize with the coaching staff who is charged with winning games, you know, right now, which they've won just as many as Arizona and they've won fewer than Chicago in regulation. So, hey, way to go, coaches. What you're doing is clearly working. But um, snark aside, right, how much the the challenge the Dallas Stars have with Dennis Gurionov is on the balance, he is a positive force and he helps the team, but he also hurts the team. And how do you find, how do you keep him in the lineup to straighten, to straighten out the inconsistencies without hurting yourself in the short term, especially when getting to the exacto knife? And this is why I wanted you to bring that up. Dennis Gurionov isn't a player that you can throw out there with, you know, Como, Foxa, Glenn Denning, right? You, you can't put him in the bottom six and expect anything to happen. He's not, he doesn't drive play by himself, right? So it's, it's at what point do you find a hole on the scoring line for a guy that might be struggling to help him get out of trouble? Right, exactly. And and I think I've mentioned this before. And in fact, the team was was looking at this in the preseason, was pairing Gurianov with Jamie Benn. And Jamie Bren, Benn brings a lot to the table that offsets the weaknesses of Gurianov. He's creative, but he's also a scoring threat in and of himself. And so what that means is that the other team on defense can't concentrate on just taking that one-timer away from Kuryanov. They have to they have, they have to slide over a little bit to worry about Ben. And by doing that, it opens up what Kuryanov is going to try and do. And so th- this, is, this is something that the Stars have gotten away from. And I think it's one of the reasons why Kuryanov's off to such a slow start. Well, and I think as well, it's... it's- the offense as a whole is off to a slow start because it's it's a twofold problem, right? If you if you isolate Gurionov, then you take away that that bread and butter, the one timer and the rush chances, which are the things he really likes. And you can absolutely and should absolutely make an argument about how yes, he is great at those things, but he should probably you know develop a more well rounded offensive game, work better off the cycle, whatever you want to call it, right? But so on the one hand. If you isolate him, you take those two things away, and that's bad. Gurionov's not going to get out of get himself out of trouble. The flip side of that is, 
if he's being taken away, something else is being given. And if he's on the ice with players that can't capitalize on that extra space, right? Look at look at Washington, right? Nicholas Backstrom, TJ Oshie, Alex Ovechkin. There are goals that he will that he will create by virtue of standing on the top. Like he, everybody that's anybody that's ever watched the Capitals game knows where he's going to be on the power play, and yet he still scores. Well, gosh, why is that? You'd think the coaches would try and take him away. Well, they they try like. They try like hell, and what ends up happening is Washington puts other options elsewhere. So yeah, sure, overcover, overcover Ovechkin, right? Shut him down, and then somebody else is going to wriggle free, get open, and create a scoring chance. And the problem with isolate, the problem with Gurionov's usage is, if you put him in a situation where you can be isolated, you also need to put him into a situation where the act of isolating Gurionov hurts you elsewhere on the ice, and. That's not the bottom six. And so you create this feedback loop of you're putting him in a spot where he can't succeed and you're putting him in a spot where he can't help someone else succeed either. Correct. And 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 I was hoping we as a team could get past this top six, bottom six. What this team needs is three offensive lines. And we have kind of gotten away from that. And Gurianov. I would argue that all of the lines are offensive right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they they may not pass the smell test. But on the other hand, you you have a line like uh, like Rope Hintz and uh, Jason Robertson that is just an incredible line, except for the fact that they've only scored one goal. But you, know, you take a look at their expected goals, you know, on, on, on in the fancy stats on paper, this line is just killing it. I mean, it was I think KT pulled this stat before we got on the podcast. Right, right now, if you look at performance, if you look at production versus expected production, Rupe Hintz is the single most unlucky player in the entire NHL right now, even to the point he finally does score a goal last night and correctly, mind you, but it gets waved off for offside. So even when he scores, he doesn't score. That's how, that's how bad things have degraded in, in Hintz's game. Yep. And, and the thing is at a certain point you can, you can celebrate the fact that you're winning the expected goal battle, but at a certain point it does need to turn into real goals and points on the, on the scoreboard and, and places in the standings and they haven't yet. Well, I mean, even this season, how many games has Dallas lost this season when they've been air quotes the better team, right? We we came out of the the there was the first loss against Ottawa where it was that well that third period was fantastic, right? And then there was the the second loss against Ottawa where they probably deserve better, and then there was the loss against, um, gosh, they're they're all blending into me at this one. But but my point being, even going back seasons, remember the season Tyler Sagan kept hitting the post, and we kept thinking, oh gosh, the puck luck's going to even out, puck luck's going to even out. Well, the the terrible thing about puck luck is it doesn't always, or if it does, it sometimes its timeline is longer than you can afford. So it's great that that Dallas is is you know fighting back from deficits to force overtime against Winnipeg before ultimately coughing up a point like that's that's better than I guess the Columbus game but that's not you know 500 hockey is not going to get you into the playoffs right exactly but yeah and, and you know that's why you keep the hope out there because you you take a look you know how, how many uh, times are you going to lose to a to a borderline kicked goal and a deflection off of somebody's head and I mean, the the goals that the stars gave up against Winnipeg wouldn't wouldn't be what I would consider to be really uh, it, you know skillful goals. They you know, Holby had a little bit of rebound control issue last night, and we paid for it in some very bizarre ways. It's true, but then this is the classic trouble of the, the Dallas Stars. Like it's true, and it's it's when you. 
when you win the games that you should win, you can afford to have nights like last night where strange things happen and cost you points. But Dallas does so little to force the issue on other nights that, you know, great. Yeah, it sucked. You know, they were they were they were two or three goals that probably don't go in on most nights, but they went in last night and they went in the game before that and the game before that. And at some point you are who you are. Right. Like you can't you can't get a do over because, well, hey, guess what? Our we, we really like how we're playing. We're just not getting the results. Well, guess what, man? <laughs> you, well, the point point spend point spend. I, you know, the the thing that you have to pay attention to, as far as I'm concerned, is not overreacting to the general, uh, you know, luck and breaks of the game. Mm-hmm. And, and and this is perhaps where I'm going to sound like the corporate shill a little <laughs> bit, but you know, overreaction when you, you know, you can always make things worse by overreacting sure. as opposed to making things better. And so you have to give the better a little chance to play itself out. And, and that's kind of frustrating and, and, and painful in an 82 game season. And you're always, uh, running the risk that a uh, time will run out on you and you'll be on the wrong side of the playoffs. But this is where it takes a little intestinal fortitude on the, on the part of the coach to say, well, exactly what the, what the club says. We like where we're at. We don't like the results we've been getting, but we think that we have something that, uh, that, that will get us where we need to be. And, and, I don't know if you read the the Mike Heike article that he did for NHL.com, but uh, he he wrote a very pro uh, Rick Bonus article today that pretty much laid out. You know, I like Bonus, and I like Bonus because he can make that type of decision, and 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 really, this is his year to go with what he has, and if it doesn't work out, then the stars are going to have to make some big changes anyways. And so I like bonus because bonus will stick with, with what he knows to be true. Even if he's wrong. I mean, I, I don't, there's, there's a part of me that doesn't disagree. And there is another part of me that is shaking his fist and saying, it's not a small sample size. This is almost, he's been in charge of the Dallas stars for almost a hundred games at this point. And these are also trends that date back to the Jim Montgomery era. So it's, it's, I, I, I think that I ultimately agree with you. And I think that ultimately this is one of the cases where my, my fan hat is getting the better of me and, and heating me up. And, and I think that, that, you know, the, the cool light of reason would have me agree with you. But there's another part of me that that keeps looking back and saying it's not nine games, right? This this isn't something that's just Dallas Dallas biffing away games against teams they should beat when they outplay them is not new. And as much as I appreciate a steady hand and stay the course and not making rash decisions, maybe the course has been stayed. Is my my counter argument? Yeah, and, and yeah, you know, I'll go back to the Lindy Ruff days, and, uh, and and oh, I would love to go back Lind- to the Lindy Ruff days. Well, but you wouldn't like to go to his last season. No, and and if you want to talk about the current Dallas Stars system, if you will, you have to go to that last Lindy Ruff season and see that as a, a place where injuries kind of took the necessary ingredients to run Ruff system away from the team. And then what we did was we got rid of the system and completely went the other way because we couldn't afford to give up goals. Yeah. 
And, and so I would view that as kind of a classical overreaction. And then we spent the next several years trying to teach all of these great, you know, mid-20s type players that we had that were just loading up goals all over the place and tried to talk them and force them into becoming defensive specialists. And, it was and the Dale Hunter era the in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and, and so again, you know, maybe, maybe after this year, if the offense continues to stink, we'll, we'll make a complete 180 and go back to the run and gun days. And you know, I, I think we probably have enough talent on this team to give it a go. But man, and the thing I don't understand, and this is what drives me nuts is hockey's a business and, and and Dallas, as much as you want to say, as dedicated as fans that we deal with on defending Big D, uh, it's an entertainment business. And I just do not understand from a business point of view how you roll out, shut down, boring hockey to people in Dallas. I mean, like you said, right, the Lindy at Ruffer, I, I can't remember the last time. I had as I mean my my favorite memories of the most of the Stanley Cup final run were that that bonkers go crazy series against Colorado, right? The series against Calgary that that team found its groove for a little, and part of it was playing against a, you know, ninth string goaltender or whatever. But that that was the last time you know to to and then even thinking about the moments right, the Winter Classic, the comeback against Minnesota, like the the games that stand out are the ones that got a little bit loose and got a little bit sloppy and and they won or sometimes lost, but at least it was entertaining. Because I, I think I think you're right. That's that may be the thing I'm reacting to the most is there is this feeling that this team can be more than it is, and they're sacrificing a they're sacrificing a ceiling because they want a floor, and it drives me yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean the last the last. Oh, sorry. Please. Oh, go ahead. I, I think we've probably beaten this, uh, beaten this enough. Uh, you know, we're 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 going to try and keep the time a little down. Let's uh, let's spend a little time talking about Thomas Harley. Yeah, let's talk about some good news. So, so yeah. last night, um, Thomas Harley makes his his season debut. Uh, plays fifteen minutes. Gut check. First impressions. Uh, I thought he played better than any game I'd seen him play in the AHL yet this year, and. Uh, I, you know, I, I haven't been a humongous, uh, you know, push Thomas Harley to the NHL guy. And after watching what I saw last night, I kind of am now. And in fact, I, I'm, I'm kind of going from zero to a hundred. I would <laughs> love to see Harley paired with Haskinen. I mean, there were glimpses. He, they, he did it. Bonus did it a couple of times. It's almost like he knows we're mad at him. <laughs> He's yep. like, oh, exactly. it's like one of my kids. I can't, I can't get her to practice piano. So I start leaving candy on the keys. Like, all right, maybe let's, let's give this a little try. See what happens. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, we already know that, that Harley likes playing with somebody with some offensive chops and certainly hasten and has that. And to tell you the truth, you know, if you want to throw a shutdown pair out there, based on what I've seen this year, give, give me a, give me a line with, uh, with Lindell and, and Hockenpah. Yeah. And, and that, that, that's a pretty big line that will shut some people down. I thought you were going to say, give me a line with Harley and Haskinen because the other line will never have the puck. Like there is, it's something. Oh, like, exactly. We have seen this increasingly in the NHL is that, that philosophy that yes, one way to shut things down is to put a, a bunch of meat in front of the net and just dare people to skate through you. But another way to, to shut things down is just keep, keep the puck, right? If, 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 you, if you've got it, they don't. 
Yeah, and, and the thing is, at that point, you know, you have you have a, a, a skating group, you have kind of a, a offensive wild card group, and then you have a meaty defensive group, and and Dallas can pretty much throw anything on the back end that they want at you. Yeah, and I will say the thing that stuck that struck me uh, because, of course, he played 15 minutes, and I want to talk about that and get your temp in just a second. And he didn't hit the score sheet in any meaningful fashion, so it wasn't like he came on and and you know walked anybody. But what what struck me about seeing him last night, and then of course I've seen him at, at Cedar Park a couple of times this season. What has struck me is physically, he looks not out of place. Right? He's not. He's not you know, Jamie Alexiak towering over everybody, gigantic monster man, but he was not, he was not a boy playing against men. Right. So one of the biggest concerns, especially with a player who already has this view of being defensively, you know, that's not his game, right? Well, if he's defensively limited and he has physical liabilities, you have a big problem. Well, I don't, I don't see that. He looks side. He is a big dude, man. And he's got, he's got more than enough size to hang. Yeah. I mean, he he needs to fill in a little bit, but you know, he you know, one way to keep yourself from getting run over is to just have the puck on your stick and get it out of the defensive zone, and you be the one doing the running over. And I mean, especially the way Miro's playing this season, there is I I am salivating over a situation where if, if you know getting him on the ice with, and it's it's the classic Lindell. I think David had a comment talking about like, is is Essa Lindell actually good or is Essa Lindell good at playing with good players? And it's it's one of those like, a part of me is thinking about Haskinen and wondering if if in fact Harley has the poise that he showed last night and is ready to contribute in the way that he was last night. Like they could really be onto something with that pairing, like onto something big. Yep, fully, fully agree. And the the other thing I like about it is that it gives them a chance to to kind of view the future and see if this team can produce with Harley, Haskin, and Ann Klingberg on the same team. Because you were never gonna set up a situation where you had one of those two anchoring each one of the three defensive pairs. There, there there's just much skill there. So you need to find uh, two of those three have to play together, and, 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 from and what I arguably saw yesterday, should play together. If if, if those three deserve to be in the NHL, you probably should be putting two of them at the same time. Yeah, you, you aren't paying you aren't paying guys with that kind of skill to be a third pair. Yeah, you should. Yeah, and it's it's um it's tantalizing. So I do want to ask you right the other thing, and I'm trying to figure out how snarky to get on this, or if I should be snarky at all, right, and just calm myself down. I think it's I think he's catching strays from my general dissatisfaction. But of course, he he makes his debut. He plays 15 minutes, um, 15 minutes in a game where the stars were trailing for the most part. Big deal, little deal, no deal. I would have guessed going in that he would have played 12. So I think that was a, an amazing. Uh, Amazing show of faith in in his game to have him up to 15. Do you think so? That seems like an answer against expectations. Now, take out the coaching staff as a variable and just in terms of his raw usage, do you think that's about what he should be playing? I would probably keep him right there at the start just because you don't want to overwhelm him and you want to have a little bit of time for him to to reflect, if you will. if, if, if you dump him in for 20 plus minutes, first of all, I don't know where the minutes are going to come from because well, I think in that situation, and you, and all run, run 20 plus. 
Well, I think what you're it's it's the scenario you're talking about. You you relegate Lindell and Hockenbaugh to more of a true, you know, shutdown pair slash PK pair with your primary five on five units being, you know, Klingberg, Suter, Heisken, and Harley. And it's it's one of those situations where the minutes come out of what Lindell and what Hockenbaugh are getting right now. Right. And the thing is, you know, you can keep Hockenpah somewhere in the in the twelve 12, 14 range, you're going to have him with special teams on, on defense. So that's going to dictate quite a bit, mm-hmm. but everybody else there, there's no reason why you can't be up in the 18 to 22, 23 range with everybody else. Yeah. And because we, we really have at that point, um, you know, Hawk and Paw's definitely number six and, and, and that's a top five that, uh, you know, as long as Harley continues to keep going, that's a top five that just works. Yeah, and it's, and it's highly skilled and, and knows what they're doing. It is. And I, I think you've you even convinced me as we've been talking. It feels like the right way to to bring him in. And especially the other thing that I'm thinking about is it's not just about Thomas Harley. It's about the rest of the defensive core, right? And, and how much can you, if, if you just throw Harley out there and start giving him 20 minutes a night, well, then that means Haskinen has to adjust to having a new partner or, you know, cling, you know what I mean? It, it, it causes yep. a trickle down throughout the rest of that lineup. So there is a, a sense of, yes, you want to give a young player time to acclimate, but also you need to give the players around him time to acclimate, especially if Harley's role is going to be someone that does touch the puck, does move the puck. He's not just out there to he's not just out there to hit and make three foot passes to wherever Miro Haskin is standing. So it's going to take a little bit longer to get him integrated into the, the flow. Yep. And, and the thing is, you know, who wouldn't want to be a partner to, to Miro? I, I mean, mean, this is, yeah, I mean, it's ideal. It's it ideal. Is, but I, you know, I, I a career yeah. off of that. Yeah. Give it, give it nine games. See if you're going to burn a year of, of the ELC and, uh, and and see how it works out. What's the worst that could happen? At this point, he looks like he's ready, and this team needs what he has. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, you can always send him back down. Um, he's you know waiver exempt, so you don't have to worry about any of the the fancy machinations of of the waiver wire or anything. He can just go back to Cedar Park and play there. So I, I think you're right, and I think I was. I was skeptical heading into last night that they were just going to call him up and let him watch a couple of games and then send, you know, bring him on a road trip, maybe give him a token run out and send him back down. But after watching him play and hearing the way the coaches talked about him and, and, you know, bonus all preseason as well, his, his big mantra was we're going to let people earn it. Right. And that he wasn't going to force anything based on age or contract, et cetera. So yeah, I came away from that game thinking that, that, this this we may be witnessing the the Thomas Harley era like we may be witnessing him making himself indispensable to this team like no I'm here you know sort of like when Hintz came up for the last time and yep. all of a sudden it was just like oh okay this is what we're doing now great yep yep and, and you know, I I was after watching him in the AHL this year it almost seemed like he was he was a little more down um, but watching him watching him last night he is. He's ready to go, and I see absolutely no reason unless he hits a wall that he should ever see the ice uh, in Cedar Park again. I mean, you hope the results start to turn around. So it's it's going to be you know it's not going Dallas remains on their on their Canadian swing. They've got the Flames tomorrow night, of course. Um, for a struggling Dallas team, Calgary isn't the the necessarily the name you want to see. What's your take heading into this series? 
or series. Apologies, I'm flashing back. What's your take heading into tomorrow night's game? I, I think Calgary is going to be tough. Um, although who, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll see an Eichel trade, and we won't have to see another Kachuk. And uh, and uh, but uh, I, I think the team gets healthy in Vancouver, like it always seems to. Uh, tomorrow's going to be a battle, uh, and uh, maybe one will go the Stars' way. I don't know. It's I think it's going to be a very physical game that that uh, will grind out. I mean, they've got a. It's it's getting bleak, right? They haven't. The last time Dallas won a game was back against the LA Kings on October 22nd, right? So this is it's four in a row now that they've lost and and you can sure say that that of those four losses two of them were in overtime but they're they're still losses so it's it's rough looking at a team that's you know has 6 and 1 i think something ridiculous like that has almost twice as many goals for as Dallas does and you know that's the team that Dallas needs to get right against so it's it's i don't know you know yeah i mean the, the, this this Western Canada trip always, uh, it always comes fairly early in the year. And it always seems to be one where there's a, a decent amount of team bonding and, and the team comes out of it pretty strong. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's all kind of random stuff out there, but uh, you know, stuff seems to happen predictably. And that's kind of what I see with this trip. And I, I hope it starts tomorrow. If it doesn't, it'll start in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I like the optimism. So then let's do um, let's do one more. Give me give me something off the wall. Give me give me a zany prediction. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, but I, I think Anton Hudobin gets the first shutout uh, on this trip. Oh, I love it. Okay, then I'm going to fire one back. I think that by the end of this road trip, Hintz is in the team lead for goals. Wow! Wow! I like it. I just like, like you said, if if this thing is going to go right, it's going to go right because the regression monster hits. And if the regression monster hits, the most likely candidate is all of those almost and nearlys and posts and all of that stuff is is finally going to start clicking. And Robertson's looked good since he's been back since he's been back. Apologies. And he's got more games under his belt. And, you know. It's it's if ever there was a time for the glimpses and glimmers we've seen out of the squad to manifest in, in real results and real change, it's it's this phase of the road trip. Yep, I, I I'm with you right there. I'm looking forward to Hint scoring five goals in the next two games, and us just carrying that momentum back into Texas. I mean, as hot as the flames have been, he might have to, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and and for Calgary, it, yeah. People people complained when I said Calgary was going to be good this year, and now they, they are, so it's about time to prove me wrong. There we go. Well, hopefully they will. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for listening. Remember to download. Remember to like. Remember to give praise to KT for stitching this all together in something that is coherent and listenable. Caveat assuming that it is, in fact, coherent and listenable. Results vary. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens in Calgary. Sounds good. <laughs>